In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at Asperient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cami and Sandy. Hi, this is Cami. Coach Pamela Mitchell joins us this week on Money Tales. We first met Coach Pamela listening to her compelling story on NPR's The Moth Radio Hour. In this week's episode, we dive deep with her into her stories of reinvention and the roles money played in them. For instance, Coach Pamela describes herself as having been a high-powered hider in her career on Wall Street. This means she was great at her job and hated every moment of it. Although she wouldn't recommend this for others, she quit without a plan. This is when she learned about reinvention. Coach Pamela, called the queen of reinvention by Fortune Magazine, is a former Wall Streeter and a former entertainment executive turned coach. She is the founder and CEO of the Reinvention Institute. Coach Pamela is also author of The 10 Laws of Career Reinvention, Essential Survival Skills for Any Economy, a Harvard Business Review top shelf recommended pick. Hi, this is Sandy. Here are three money insights Coach Pamela brings to life in this conversation. First, how people's perception of money and where you fall on the scale impact the way they treat you. Second, the importance of understanding that our job isn't our identity. We can take our career skills with us from role to role. Our true identity is the person who created them. And third, money is there to facilitate things. If it's the number one focus, it becomes a block. If you like this episode, as we expect you will, be sure to share it with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales. At the end of this interview, Cammie and I leave you with a discussion about how we financially plan with high-powered hiders. Now, on to our conversation with Coach Pamela Mitchell. Hello, Money Tales listeners. This is Cammie, and I'm here with my co-host, Sandy. Hey, Cammie. How are you doing today? Doing really well, Sandy. I'm really excited about something we've been working on, not just in the marketing team at Asperian, but we're getting ready for our firm-wide retreat, Achieve. And I know you know this. It's a ton of work, and it's work that's on top of everything we do. But gosh, it's so important. And I've always loved Achieve for everything we get to do. But aren't you so excited that we are finally getting together after so long? It's going to be wonderful. And I thank you and the rest of the chief planning team, because there's a lot of content. We have some great speakers coming. You guys have been working hard on a lot of continuing education to help all of us get better at the work that we do to serve our clients and to have, what is it now, 220 of the folks that experience from across the country all together in one place is going to be amazing. So lots of gratitude for you and the team. Thanks for doing that hard work on behalf of all of us and our clients. Absolutely. And I still have an idea that we might take money tales to the stage with our colleagues and have conversations with them. We'll have to banter around that idea. Oh, I like it, Cammie. 
Well, without further ado, this is a great opportunity for me to introduce our next guest here on Money Tales, who I first met on the Moth Radio Hour. I was listening to the Moth Radio Hour, which I love, and her story was so compelling that we had to reach out and invite her to be a guest. Welcome, Coach Pamela Mitchell to Money Tales. Thank you, Cammie, and thank you, Sandy, for having me. I am thrilled to be here. Would you please provide an introduction for our listeners, share two or three pivotal moments that really impacted you and made you the person you are today? Let me just begin by saying I am the founder and CEO of a company called the Reinvention Institute. We help successful professionals reinvent. We say careers, but really it's all about your life because careers are a mechanism to deliver a life that you love. So it's the intersection of both. That's what we do. We partner with people in that, whether they're on a self-guided journey through our digital products or through our coaching. I think that that's important to know because my journey to doing this work was not a standard journey. It's not surprising that I help people now follow a non-standard path. I was born in the Midwest and we didn't have a lot of money. And my mom and my dad got divorced when I was very young. We were raised by my single mother who was working very hard, climbing the ladder, trying to provide for her children. And my grandfather was a garbage man. My grandmother was a crossing guard. And so we were not at all rich in money, but we were rich in love. I was surrounded by love. But because we were trying to just make it, the lessons that I learned were really about getting a good job at a good company, first getting a good education, then a great job at a great company and staying there for the rest of my life and retiring with the proverbial gold watch. That was all what it was about as I was growing up. And this is what I was taught. I came from this learning and I took that sort of education thing to heart. And I was the first person in my family to go to college. My mother eventually did go back and finish her degree and got her master's and got her PhD. So it's not like we didn't have it, but when you are struggling just to make ends meet, that's the priority. So anyway, I was the first person to go to college in my family. I actually ended up going to Harvard. And this was a very big deal because I was working at McDonald's doing drive through and counter when I got that acceptance to Harvard. And I only applied because they nailed me an application and said, hey, we think you should apply. And it was never in my head that this is what I would be doing. I knew I wanted to go to a good school, but certainly that was not in my mind. Now, my mother will tell you, and it is true that I told her when I was 11 that I was not going to stay in Wisconsin, that it was not cosmopolitan enough for me. And so I always had this dream that was at odds with the circumstances that I grew up in. So I knew, even though I loved my family and loved this world, that somehow I wanted something bigger and different and outside of the environment. Harvard was that first step. My family was happy, but my grandmother was like, you're not letting her go that far, are you? So it wasn't like, everybody's happy. You're going, no. Is that right? They came around, but it took a little bit for them to say, yeah. You're working at McDonald's. You get this letter from Harvard. What was your reaction and what was going on for you at that moment? It was the first time that I experienced people treating me differently because of a perception change. 
even though it wasn't about money, it was about money because all of a sudden these people that had been friends of mine for a couple of years, because I've been working there for a couple of years and I've had great reviews and everybody loved me. And then all of a sudden I come and I say, I'm going to Harvard. And it's like the person that they knew they didn't know anymore. All of a sudden people started saying things to me and rejecting me, assuming that I was really stuck up and snobby and circumstances hadn't changed. You hadn't changed. It had only been a letter. You were the same person. And it sounds like the people around you were reinventing you before you really took any action on your own. Exactly. Like they started to see me differently. And this was the first time that I understood that people's perceptions of money and like where you fall on the scale impacted how they looked at you. Because I think up until that moment, we were all the same. But now all of a sudden, I had a path, a different path that was going to take me financially in a different direction. And now we weren't the same. This changed things. Now, Mind you that when I went to college, I mean, again, like we did not come from a lot. You know how people have a registry when you get married and people buy things off of the registry. When I went to college, my mother made a list of everything that I needed. And my aunts and my uncles and my grandparents each took a thing off the list and bought it for me to send me off to college. Such a beautiful story. Yeah because we didn't have a lot of money. So my mother, she's still a single mother. I mean, I got a scholarship, but they're all pouring into me and sending me off to this bigger dream, bigger world that none of us knew in that moment. Were you thinking about money when you were heading off to college? Where did that fall in your quest to seek a different vision for yourself? I wasn't thinking about money as much as I wanted to see the world. And that takes money. So I knew that if I were going to do that, I would need to make a way. And my grandmother always taught us, you can always find a way. That was her mantra. You can always find a way. You make a way out of no way. I just knew that that's what I wanted. Now, I always tell the story about sitting in my first lecture and it came to me what I wanted to do for my career, which was travel the world and have someone else pay for it. So that was the goal. I wanted somebody else to pay for it on some other corporate dime. I was like, oh my God, this would be amazing if I could travel the world and someone else could pay for this. That was about as far as money was getting until I went into that environment and I realized that a lot of people had a lot different levels of money because now I'm in Harvard. People are living completely different than what we live. And I'm like, okay, this is a whole nother ball game here. So tell us more about that. There you are, you're in this new environment. There's all these different levels of wealth. How did you feel? And were people talking about it? People weren't really talking about it per se. It was just more people had different things that they were experiencing. For me, there was just a lot of anxiety because I'm worried about my mother being able to pay my tuition. A lot of people, that's not their concern whether or not their mother is going to be able to earn enough to pay their tuition and they're going to be able to continue. They're just off doing whatever they're doing. In that moment, that's where it started to be a little bit of a separation within me, where I started to close it off because I knew that there was this gulf and this divide. It felt a little dissonant, but I was still trying to navigate. The one thing about Harvard is that because it's Harvard, it has everything there, like every resource, 
every opportunity. So I'm in this environment where all the things are there, but there's still this separation going on because there's still money anxiety underneath the surface. A lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. And of course, there's pressure because I want to do well because I'm the first person to go to college and all the dreams are poured into me. And it was a lot of pressure. So how'd you get through it? What did you end up doing as you were emerging from college with your career and moving forward? How are you going to seek your gold watch initially? And did you get to travel the world? Okay. So when I first got out, my whole like identity and sense of self was pretty destroyed. So it took me a couple of years to rebuild this inner sense of self, which comes into play in my reinvention journey. Why is your sense of self in this state? Because I'd gone in being like smartest, the top, and now all of a sudden I'm thrown into this environment where I'm not at all the smartest and I'm getting what I consider to be mediocre grades, middle of the pack, but you know, I'm middle of the pack at Harvard. But in my head, it's stressful. My sense of value and self-worth really took a hit. And of course, I'm going home during the summers. Like I go visit one of my roommates in Switzerland because her father had this posting in Switzerland and like, we are doing all of it. All right. So I'm doing that. But I'm also going back to Wisconsin and working in a nursing home and cleaning bedpans. So there is this thing happening and I'm trying to reconcile it all. Right. Like, who am I really? Who am I? And I, of course, can't tell people back in Wisconsin that I'm going to Harvard because it's a whole other thing. I learned never to talk about it. Don't talk about this. I would not tell people. So I get back and I've got to put everything together again. And so it takes me a couple of years. Then I go and I get my master's degree in international business. And then I go to New York and I get this job on Wall Street, which had been my big dream. I was like, all right, I'm going to get this job on Wall Street. It's going to be amazing. So that was my goal. I get that. I get there. And about six months into it, I'm like, I hate this. (laughs) (laughs) You got there and you got your answer. All the learning, all the teaching of my family, you stay at a good company, you get a good job, you stay there. And so I was like, I'm ignoring the fact that I hate this. And I'm just going to make it work. How long did you do that for? Five years. And this was when I first learned that you can be good at a job and hate it. Most people assume that if you don't like a job, you're bad at it. But no, there can be this, I call them high-powered hiders. That's what we call this particular thing where it looks great on the outside, but inside you are hiding the fact that you just don't like what you're doing and it's not fulfilling and you're not interested. But on the surface, everybody's like, oh, it's looking great. Thank you for naming that. I've been there myself and I like having this name, high-powered hiders. Yep. That's what they are. And that's what I was, was a high-powered hider. And you were cognizant of this at the time, of course. I won't speak for you, but I've had those days where it's like, oh my God, don't make me go to work. That's exactly it. And I would be stressed just walking down Wall Street not able to breathe, crying at my desk. Every time I would say, I don't know if this is for me. I had a great boss, good mentor to me. So every time I'd be like, oh no, he'd like throw more money at me, throw more responsibility at me. And this is how it lasted five years because it was a great experience. I was good at it. It just did not feed me. It just wasn't a good fit. I wasn't a good fit personality wise for Wall Street. How did you make this break? And what did you do? So the great boss that I had got pushed out because, of course, politics, 
And things got very ugly, very quickly politically within the org. As I said, I'm a person that cares about people. I had been managing their international partners. Now all of a sudden I'm being asked to do things that I feel are not in alignment with the relationships that we've built. And I'm like, that is not me. I cannot do this. I quit without a job, without a plan, without money. What did that feel like? Pretty scary, but I was in so much pain. I just couldn't bear it any longer. And I went back to my grandmother's mantra. I will figure this out. I hadn't planned on it, but I will figure this out. This is where I learned about reinvention because I knew I didn't want to go back to what I was doing. And at the time, there was nothing about reinvention. There were no coaches. There were no methods. There was no place to go where you could have a community. Everybody around me is like, well, you had a good job. Why are you doing this? I was hearing things that were not in alignment with what I knew my spirit wanted. And of course, I had all the fears. I wasn't taught to save. So I did not have enough money for this. I hadn't planned. So now I've got to figure out how to make money while I'm doing this leap, while I'm trying to figure out, first of all, what career do I want? Because I know what I don't want. And now once I figured it out, how do I get myself there? And how do I support myself when I'm going through this journey? And you're doing this all on your own, no help. Are you talking to friends about it? I am talking to friends. I'm talking to my old boss. I'm talking to people. But again, people aren't really understanding this because it's not common. It was not common to say, I'm going to just change. I'm just going to leave it behind and do something different. And I'm going to figure out this leap. So this is what I had to do. First, figure out what I wanted, learn how to do that within myself. And then once I figured out, okay, this is where I want to head, then I had to start solving all the problems along the way to make that leap from packaging myself, my background, my experience in a new way. So I didn't have to start at the bottom, which is what everybody's afraid of the legitimacy points that I talk about. So how does a new industry feel like I'm legitimate so that they will take that chance on me? How do I translate my background? And then of course, the money piece, like, first of all, how much am I going to earn when I get there? But like, I couldn't pay my rent. So I say that every fear that a reinventor has around money and making the sleep, I went through, I ran out of money. I could not pay my rent. I had to go to my landlords and say, I cannot pay my rent. I started temping. Here I'd been a director on Wall Street and now I'm temping. Standing at the copier, I will never forget this moment, standing at the copier and I'm just like, oh my God, I've got this Harvard degree. I've got a master's. I've been a director on Wall Street and I'm standing at the copier making copies. One of those teary-eyed moments. But then in that moment, this was the big aha moment. My identity was not tied to those things, those jobs. My identity was me and that the person who had created all those things could create again. So I had to leave that old identity behind and just be like, okay, I am me and I take me, my skills, whatever. I take that with me, not those other things. So that moment was a very pivotal moment for me because it was the moment I realized that I go with me wherever I go. That sounds completely empowering and motivating. It really was. And I was so anxious. But the thing with the reinvention journey is that you never know how it's going to unfold until you're through it. And then you look back and you're like, oh, wow, 
But from that moment to when I actually started my job in entertainment was probably three months. The whole journey took about six months. It's pretty quick. Yeah. It's pretty quick. But when you're going through it, it doesn't feel quick because you don't know when it's going to end. So you have to be able to tolerate that ambiguity and the not knowing and all the things that I learned that now I teach people tools to do these things and how to take care of themselves through it. I was just learning. You can teach us how to tolerate the ambiguity. That's a gift. Yeah. You know, I've just released this Audible original and there's a whole chapter in there. Mastering the skill of reinvention. One of the skills is tolerating ambiguity, which is not natural for the human brain. Our brain resists ambiguity. Learning that skill is a key piece of mastering the skill of reinvention. So you moved on to entertainment. When did you start the Reinvention Institute? Okay. So I was in entertainment close to 10 years, very much on point, loved every moment of it, traveled the world. Somebody else paid for it. (laughs) It was awesome. And more than I could have even dreamed of. What was interesting about that is that entertainment is a very wealthy industry and so is Wall Street, but the relationship to money is different. Wall Street, it's all about the money. Money is first and foremost, and that's what it is. In entertainment, it's all about relationship, but money is there to facilitate relationship. And it's also about experiences. So all of a sudden I'm dropped into this environment where it's about giving clients amazing experiences so that they will license from you. Now I'm all over the world having these amazing experiences and doing all these things. The way I'm living is incredibly wealthy, even though it's not my money. So it's very interesting, that experience. Working in those two different environments where money was treated differently, what impact did that have on your own personal relationship with money? It expanded my awareness of the complicated nature of money. I only knew my way of relating to money. I didn't know other people had different ways of relating to money. I started to see that even within industries, people had different relationships to it. I also started to see that it was possible to change my relationship to it. Because in order to make the leap from Wall Street to entertainment, I actually had to not make money the first priority. And that was that big lesson that money as is career is there to facilitate things. It can't be number one because if it's number one, it becomes a block. Yeah, you'd never leave. You'd never leave. You'd stay hidden. You stay hidden, you'd stay miserable, you know, you'd stay. And there are plenty of people who live that way because money has to come first. It started to teach me that money is something that is created and it's created to facilitate things. The real power comes from the ability to create, not from the money itself. Do you bring this into your practice in the Reinvention Institute? Do you talk about money with your your clients? Yes, because every person that comes in has something around money. And it doesn't matter how much money they have. It really does not. And that has been very enlightening. Money is always a part of the conversation, whether they have money and they're afraid, oh my God, I make this change, what's going to do? Even if it's not that piece, it's what am I doing around all of this? A lot of people, it's, am I going to earn the same? Or it's a part of an identity thing. Like I've been earning this. How can I go do something that really is more fulfilling, but maybe I'm not earning the same amount, even though I don't really need that money. There's always some kind of conversation 
around money and working through money and reinvention because it's a facilitator for life. And if we're going to talk about your ideal life and create that, then we have to talk about money. Based on all the work that you're doing at the Reinvention Institute and these insightful conversations you're having with your clients about money, what advice do you have for our listeners who might be thinking about embarking on a reinvention themselves? I always say, don't do what I did. Don't quit (laughs) without a plan. (laughs) I did it. It's very stressful and very high stakes. So if you're listening and you're thinking, that sounds like a good idea. No, it's not a good idea. I don't regret doing it, but I do not recommend. Wouldn't want to do it again. Oh, no, 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 no. And when I did my second reinvention of leaving entertainment and going to start this, I did it differently. There is that whole thing of learning along the way. In terms of an insight that I might have for the listener, money is energetic. Realize that it is energetic. So if you are allowing that energy to dictate your life, take a look at that relationship that you have and understand that it's possible to evolve that relationship. The other thing I would say is to understand one of the common money fears around reinvention is that you're going to earn less money. However, what I have found is that about 50% of people remain at parity, 25% earn more. Really, the majority of people earn the same or more. If that's something that is critical for you, and it is for a lot of people, that plan can be mapped out. We can take a look at how to put it together because every person has their own personal kaleidoscope of how the pieces fit together and it won't look like anyone else's. You have to have your own customized plan. So don't let that fear be the thing that stops you from having the life you want. That's the key. Don't let money fear stop you from having the life you want. You can put it together in a way that works for your life. I'm so glad you said that. I see that often with the clients that I work with when someone's making a change and whenever they're making a decision that's in alignment with really where their heart and soul is, it does seem like the money falls into place in the way it's supposed to. Certainly if someone's making such a big change where by the nature of that change, there is not going to be very much money, then to your point, there's a lot of planning that can be done to prepare for that change. Exactly. And that's where people like you guys are so invaluable. This is one of the things that I suggest to our clients is talk to your financial advisors, tell them that you're going to embark on this journey and map out the numbers and let's see what has to happen. And then come back and say, they say that either this is possible or I need to bring in X amount of money. Like it's the clarity around money that allows you to facilitate the journey. It's when you're unclear and that you're in fear that you get blocked. We talk about it being context and clarity, which brings peace of mind. Exactly. And I really appreciate you talking about being blocked because that is really important. Tell us, Coach Pamela. What's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? My next money conversation is going to be with my own coach. Every good coach has their own coach. I can't be a great coach to others if I'm not willing to be coached myself. I can't take people on a growth journey if I'm not continuing to grow. And what I've learned around money, especially given where I come from, is that it's a continual evolutionary journey. So my coach is the one who pushes me 
pushes me to ask for more money. We're going to have a conversation this afternoon about more money because I've made this leap and I'm like inside, like, oh my God. (laughs) And so I'm going to talk to my coach about it. Everything that all my clients are experiencing and I'm calm and cool, I'll be with my own coach like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) You practice what you preach. Thank you so much for sharing your reinvention story and what you're building at the Reinvention Institute and how you're helping your clients. Your story was really impactful. Thank you for joining us on Money Tales. Well, thank you so much for having me. Sandy, Coach Pamela was really an inspiring guest. Tell me, you lit up when she brought up high-powered hiders in the conversation. Have you ever worked with anyone who's a high-powered hider? I did light up because that story that she shared, as I mentioned in our conversation, resonated so well with me. And I loved having that label because it's just so perfect for that period of my life. It does also resonate with me in the work that I've done with some clients over the years. I'm happy to say that most clients that I work with who are involved in a career are very satisfied by what they're doing. But there have been some situations where Clients have just been doing really well. They're great at their job. They're making a lot of money and it's hard to walk away from that. As their wealth manager, it's our job to understand what lights them up, what doesn't. Where are they at on their journey of achieving the financial resources that they need to achieve the goals that they've set for themselves? In some cases, I've worked with clients who've been so close to creating the wealth that they need to become financially independent. And we've used that phrase before on many tales, but for new listeners, for us, that means our person has achieved enough financial resources to be able to fund their goals for the remainder of their lives without having to rely on continued earnings from work. When clients have been close to achieving financial independence, in some cases, they will choose to stay in the job in order to achieve financial independence. And as soon as they achieve financial independence, they will walk away from that job and they will pivot to new activities that truly bring joy and are aligned with the purpose that they have defined for themselves. You're excellent at what you do, but you're miserable at it. And I can appreciate that it's hard to walk away because you're being told how good you are. And Coach Pamela talked about this, like, why would you walk away? It was really respected and you're fabulous at it. I'm sure there's a lot that has to be uncovered. There's a number component and then there's an emotional component. I gave you one example of situations I've seen where clients have hung in there. Another example is where clients have decided because of where they were in their life, in the cases I'm thinking of, had a long runway before they planned to achieve financial independence. So there wasn't as much at risk with them leaving their job and making a change to something that was more aligned with what they were wanting to do career-wise. Those are the two bookends to the range of situations that I've seen. And I can tell you, Cami, when working with clients, there's nothing like working with individuals who are highly motivated and excited and feel well aligned with what they're doing. There's a certain flame in there that's beautiful to see, and it can make planning a lot of fun. You're right. Money and financial security is just one aspect of the different considerations that come into play in those planning scenarios. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you, Sandy. And thank you, Coach Pamela, for joining us on Money Tells. And listeners, as always, it's great to have you. If the money conversation you heard today inspire you to continue your own money conversations or gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue, or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at asperient.com. You've been listening to Money Tales, hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder. To subscribe to the show on your favorite platform or to increase your money mojo via their blog, Fathom, head on over to Asperient.com slash podcasts. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Money Tales. Money Tales.